In the fall each year we all congregate The bound all gathered at the church of Pilgrim The scriptures reading from the book of Monson Our favorite verse, my God, a precious Drunk and obnoxious, what Georgia faith Ain't nothing finer in the land Now the 3,000 of our best friends It's Saturday in that thing Welcome to the Saturday Athens Podcast. I am your host, Seth Saunders, and all of a sudden, week seven is upon us. Feels like it snuck up on us, and we are fired up this week to have as our guest picker, Jake Crane, host of Crane & Company. Brother, we're happy to have you, man. Welcome to the show, Jake. Yeah, man, excited to be on. Uh, Thanks for reaching out, and man, it's amazing how fast the season goes. I mean, whether it was playing or when I was coaching or, you know, just... Uh, now doing the sports media, regardless of what arena of the sport you're in, once it gets here, it just absolutely skates. So, you know, I, I, we have football like every day now. I'm loving it on Tuesdays, obviously Monday night football, then Tuesday night conference USA. We have all these G5 conferences during the week. I'm uh, It's my favorite time of year, man. And playoff baseball, come on. Score, Braves. Score, please. <laughs> Well, I'm I'm a little sensitive on the baseball piece of it. I am a long-suffering 35-plus years Orioles fan, so it's been a miserable four days for me. My boys are Man, out. <laughs> that was tough. That that baseball is such a fickle mistress. You know, you play so good for 162 games, but I will say y'all are in a lot better spot than y'all were. You know, it's it, at least you're arguing about getting bounced in the first round as opposed to how bad can we possibly be. Hey, you got that right, man. And you know, look, we we had a couple spots in the nineties, and then obviously the the run with Buck in the in the twenty tens was good. But I feel like from a sustainability perspective, what Mike Elias has put in place, what they're doing with international scouting, all those things, I mean, I'm fired yeah. up about it. It's just, y'all y'all are here to stay for sure. Just yeah, sitting a flash yeah. in the pan. It feels better for sure. Yeah, man, it's good. Well, look, I, I think we're going to get along just fine because my understanding is you were a college baseball player, and so was I. So. Yeah, man, love it. Love yeah. it. So I, I think things will go well today. Well, look, I want to ask you this. Seven weeks in, what has been the biggest surprise of the season for you thus far? Um, outside of, of Mario Cristobal not taking a knee the other night, I'd probably Ooh. say the uh, – the biggest surprise is that I, I don't think, and this is the first time I think we can say this in a while, I know TCU made the national championship game last year, but for the first time in a long time, uh, I think we actually don't know. There's not that one team sitting on the golden hill that we're looking at and saying, all right, that's the best team in the country. Can any of these other teams develop enough? Or, hey, these are the two or three best teams in the country, without a doubt. They are just gaps and oceans wide better than everybody else. Can anybody catch them? There's still a lot of chaos that, that can happen. I mean, I'm, I'm opening up our show on uh, Thursday with, you know, this is the year of the Joker in college football. I, there's so much chaos from possibly having three undefeated ACC teams at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. You look at Texas and Oklahoma and their last stance in the Big 12, possibly going at it again in the Big 12 championship. The Pac-12 is the best conference in college football, at least up to this point. Uh, mm-hmm. I love it. I think it's great for the sport. I, I'm a college football purist, a football purist in general. Uh, but I do think this is a blip on the radar screen. So I think the overall just lack of of definitiveness, if that's a word, halfway through the season has been the biggest surprise. But, I mean, outside of that, obviously the Pac-12, right? I mean, I, I think that's a pretty pretty easy answer. How funny is it that in their swan song, after being the butt of so many jokes during the CFP era, they could be the bell of the ball, right? And so for sure, it's been fascinating, I think, to watch that. And and some of that is like football is, man. It's a quarterback-driven sport, right? And yeah. they got a lot of good guys under center in that conference right now, and I think it's mm-hmm. it's driving some of that. Okay, obviously, massive matchup in that conference to stay on that thread this weekend. Oregon and Washington playing each other. Obviously, big-time quarterbacks for both those programs with Bo Nix and Michael mm-hmm. Penix. I want to ask you a little bit about Washington because I thought that last year they were one of the least talked-about programs given the product they actually put on the field. I mean, they were essentially Tennessee West from an offensive perspective. Yeah. Just lit up the field, lit up the scoreboard, and they brought that back. You know, Early season, they had three guys who looked like might go for 1,000 yards in the receiving core. I think they still get at least two and could get three. But what have you seen from them? What has impressed you about them through this first seven weeks? Well, you know, everybody talks about Michael Penix, and they should. Everybody talks about Udunzi and Polk and McMillan, and they should. 
But I think the offensive line's kind of punched above their weight a little bit. When you look at the sack percentage that they're giving up, I mean, I think they've given up three sacks the whole year. And that's not just a a symptom of, of an offense that gets the ball out quick a lot. You know, that they basically run a, a similar system to what Josh Heupel runs. That There are differences. I think the passing game is a little more intricate out there with what DeBoer does. Uh, but I think it's the offensive line. And w- when I look at this Washington team, you know, I kind of put them right now in the same category with USC. I actually feel like I know more about the USC defense, not saying that's a good thing, than <laughs> I do the Washington defense. But when you look at them, it's easy to sit here and point. Look, Michael Penix, he's got a cannon. He can make every throw. He can stretch you vertically. He's good in the intermediate. He's good in the short game. As we say, he can throw the fastball and the changeup, which is something I don't think Joe Milton can do, speaking of Tennessee. But when you when you look at, at this offense, one of the reasons that they've been successful, because it truly is a pass-first run as a counter offense. They run the ball less than 40% of the time. But this offensive line, when the defense knows that you're passing it a lot, they're basically in a predictable passing down every down, yet you're still able to protect against the different looks that you get. And it's not like they have the most talented offensive line in the country. They don't have the best personnel. But they they really do a good job of, job of communicating. You don't see a lot of busts. Uh, in the different protections that they run. So I, I would have to say the offensive line, I don't think people talk enough about the job that they've done. I think that's going to be one of the reasons, though, that Oregon does beat Washington. I know we're going to get there, but it's it's. I think this offensive line is about to really get tested like they haven't gotten tested all season. Yeah, I can't wait to see that matchup this weekend. And, you know, I think nationally, that is one of the more underrated rivalries in the country. And I say that, mm-hmm. not out there, right? Everybody that there knows it and feels it. But I think nationally, people do not understand the malice that exists between those two programs. And so for them to be where they both are at the top of the heap right now, man, I just think that's going to be such a fun matchup Saturday afternoon yeah. in, in what I think is a bit of a sneaky slate this weekend. A good. No, I, I think it is too. I, I think it's sneaky as well. I agree. I always say, look, with, with rivalries, you know, hate's an equal opportunity employer. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't care if you're on the West Coast, if you're on the East Coast, if you're in the Midwest. You know, if you're in the Northeast and and this game has turned in, I mean, these are two big brands, obviously in the Pac-12, you see what they're doing now, you know, moving and going to the Big Ten. They were two of the teams that, you know, volunteered as tribute to use a Hunger Games reference to to go (laughs) play in the Big Ten and and go with, you know, Sacagawea across the country and and go play. But look, I I think this game, you know, when I look at it, I I do believe Oregon, the difference is I think Oregon has more team balance. Mm -hmm. I think one of these teams has an elite offense. I think one of these teams is an elite team. I think one of the reasons that 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 I picked Oregon before the season to win the Pac-12, and it's not just because I believe in Dan, and Dan's going to try and build an SEC-style team yep. out in the Pac-12 now going to the Big Ten, which that's going to come in handy as you're making that transition anyway. It's that when I look at Oregon, because there's always those two or three times, even the best offenses in the world in every sport, they have those times where they struggle a little bit. I've seen the Warriors not be able to hit threes in a couple games. I've watched the Kansas City Chiefs not be able to score a ton of points in a couple games. I've watched the Atlanta Braves get it shoved down their throat for 15 straight innings You know, after a historic run they just made in the regular season offensively. So when that happens, do you have enough team balance where if the offense isn't clicking at its highest efficiency, that you can still win the game against a quality opponent? I think if Oregon goes up to Washington and doesn't play at the top of their game offensively, their defense is good enough and their special teams are good enough to win the game and they can run the ball. And then if Washington goes up and doesn't play good offensively, I don't think Washington's defense is good enough to slow Oregon down enough to be able to win that game. So, you know, you have two mega offenses playing against each other, but I think you have one elite team. I mean, you look at, at Oregon's run game, what they're able to do, that opens up the pass, opens up the play action. You have a quarterback in Bo Nix that's a runner. Not that Penix can't run it, but Washington is more of a one-trick pony offensively, and it's a hell of a trick. But if it's not clicking, and I'll give you a number. This is this is an, And I'm not typically one of these guys that just dives out into, well, you know, on third and six, and it's a full moon after you ate ribs on a Tuesday, there's a 25% <laughs> chance for you to win. Like, I'm not one of those guys. But I do look, I do look at, at statistics that I think matter. And when you look at Oregon, they're they're ranked not dead last, but 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 they're not ranked very high when it comes down to p- completion percentage against, right? So how many passes you're giving up being completed? But they're top five in the country in yards given up per pass. So what does that mean? That means they tackle really well in space. And when you play an offense like Washington that supplements the run game with the quick pass game, that wants to get the ball out quick, that wants to use every blade of grass. A lot of their big plays aren't on the vertical ball. 
They're not on the post. They're on short passes where you get yak yardage after the catch. If you can get them down, you can keep them off schedule. And I think Oregon is good enough in the back end with Reed and and Evan Williams. I mean, I always trust a guy named Evan Williams. I don't care what he's doing. But uh, <laughs> I think they're good enough in the back end to get Washington on the ground and kind of stifle them enough to where their offense can score enough to win the game. I want to stay on the West Coast. I want to ask you about a program, and this is going to be a very out-of-left-field question, but there was an article in The Athletic about them this week, and it fascinated me for a number of different reasons, and I want you to go down a little bit of a rabbit hole with me. But I want to talk to you about UNLV. Uh, mm. The Rebels are sitting at 4-1 and one right now. Barry Odom is back in the cockpit as head coach. Wanted to be back there so badly. I think that's one of the things that's been undersold about Arkansas' storyline this year. Yes, a, I agree. But a couple things from that article stuck out to me. Number one, they asked Coach Odom about the success of the team thus far. And he said, well, I'll tell you what we do. We give everybody in practice equal reps. And I took that from Coach Pittman in my first two years at Arkansas, who took it from Kirby Smart at Georgia. So I thought that was a fascinating piece to that. The other thing I thought was so interesting about it, and this kind of touches on a personal piece for me, but I want to talk about Brennan Marion a little bit, okay? And a name that folks maybe that aren't attuned to him should look out for. Uh, Brennan Marion is the offensive coordinator there at UNLV. They are lighting up the scoreboard this year. He runs something called the go-go offense, which is essentially mixing triple option concepts with spread concepts. And they do a lot of eye candy stuff, you know, pre-snap motions, all these type things. And it's, it's awesome. And the reason it's a heart piece for me is he was the offensive coordinator at William & Mary, which is my alum, mm-hmm. alumni. So I watched it happen there and how it kind of shifted the program there under Mike London. And it's kind of cool to see him shift there. The other neat part about his story, I think, is he was a wide receiver at Tulsa, led the country in... Uh, yards per catch, his quarterback at Tulsa, Texas State head coach, G.J. Kenny. Yeah. So just a lot of cool avenues mixing there. And I don't know, mm-hmm. man, I just thought it was cool to give UNLV some love and, and kind of For watch sure. them. They play, they play Nevada this weekend, uh, who's obviously down this year. But I don't know, man, what are, what are your thoughts on that program so far and what Barry Odom has done to turn them around? Well, you know, I don't think Barry Odom, I don't think people really understand the job that Barry Odom did at Arkansas with what he was given personnel wise. Mm-hmm. I mean, you talk about have I know they had Bumper Pool, which by the way, there's no way you're not going to be good if that's your name. I'm a firm <laughs> believer in that. He had a couple guys, but they had no depth. Like it was to the point where he was almost having to invent ways to stop people. And the fact that they did, he did what he did with that defense, he deserved another chance. Mm-hmm. To, to get a head coaching job. And I'm with you. I don't think he gets the credit that he deserves. And I know the players love him too, if you ask anybody that ever played for him. I do want to say this real quick. William and Mary, one of the funniest things I've ever heard a coach say was when they asked Lou Holtz when he was the head coach at William and Mary why they lost. Have you ever heard this? Oh, yeah. <laughs> because they had too many Marys and not enough Williams. That's right. No, yeah. That's the funniest thing I've ever heard, Seth. <laughs> yeah. Like, if you really think about it, that is such a great, that is a high IQ genius level hilarious and thinking about it in Lou Holt's voice is absolutely slays me every time but you know that offense it's it is you know the RPO game is basically the triple option with the pass built in yeah but but what but but what they do out there there's a lot more window dressing with it right that they've kind of you have your your general RPO you know where where you're able to give it quarterback can keep it quarterback can keep it and throw it you're trying to manipulate the the intermediate defender whether that be the nickel the down safety whatever defensive end with zone read things like that but it, it's like that but in a mink coat it's like yeah. way more dressed up yeah. and they mix that with mixing tempos so it's kind of like a souped up nitrous version of of the RPO we see which obviously it works i mean look at what Kenny's doing yeah. Right, like they're, yep. they're doing really well. Texas State is the Colorado of the G five, and nobody's talking about it. That's they just right. don't have Prime as their head coach with what they did in the portal. So yeah, I, I don't think enough people are talking about it. They need to continue to do it. But I tell you what, Barry keeps on doing it. He's not going to be at UNLV for long. Nope, he's sure not, man. I, I just thought that was such a cool story. I love that. that is a cool story. That is a cool um, story. You know, speaking of Coach Holtz, you know, he was also pulling double duty when he was in Williamsburg. He was the golf coach in addition to being the football coach Dude, while he was the head guy. There. I can't, like, I've heard, my father played in the Japan Bowl and Lou Holtz was the head coach over there. Yeah. And the stories, like, just of Lou Holtz, like, 
just cracking the guys. Like apparently he's legitimately hilarious. Oh like, yeah, dude. Comedian level hilarious. Oh yeah, he he's a time man. Like uh, I've seen him speak a couple times, and it's laugh out loud funny because he's just quick as a whip, man. Like for you sure. can tell he reads a ton and retains, and like yeah, he's. He's whip quick for sure. Well, uh, well, look, let's pick some games, man. Like I said, I, I like this. I like this slate a lot. The thing I think is great about it is there's a lot of G5 big time games this week that I really love, mm-hmm. and we're gonna get to highlight a bit of those. And one of Heck, them, there was, was a- one Tuesday night. That coastal app game was was must see television. If you're a football degenerate like we are, I'm guessing. Yeah. I, I love that we got Tuesday football now again. It's fantastic. And, dude, we're not just talking one-offs. Multiple games Tuesday night. It was fantastic. Oh, I know. It's it's amazing. It's like it's like an, an adult Christmas for me. Yeah. Well, so, look, Friday night, we got a big one in the American. Top of the conference bout. Tulane going to Memphis, play at the mm-hmm. Liberty Bowl, uh, 7 p.m. Friday night. The number on that game, Tulane is a three-and-a-half-point road favorite. What's your thoughts on this one? Man, you know, I, I first off, it's it's a great matchup. You know, I I love what what you know Silverfield's trying to do out there at Memphis. Still waiting on that first like really big win. You know, kind of in in his coaching tenure out there, especially on the road against a higher level team because we've seen Memphis be able to do it. Tulane with Willie Fritz. Look, when I was coaching in South Alabama, we had to play Willie Fritz at Georgia Southern, and that was like getting just jumped by a gang of ninjas. It's just <laughs> never fun. These guys always play hard. They run. They you know he runs a cool system. Um, I, it's not exactly what he ran when he was at Georgia Southern against us, but it's a version of it. It's hard for me to bet against Michael Pratt. It's hard for me to bet against, you know, not that, that Hennigan can't play. I like him. I, I think he's sneaky athletic. This Memphis team has some pieces. They can really hit the home run. But what I like about Tulane is I just think Tulane is more physical. I think Tulane is is a team. We saw him go up against Ole Miss in a game mm-hmm. that, you know, you know, if ifs and butts were candy and nuts, we'd all have a Merry Christmas. But if they have Michael Pratt, I think it may be a different story at the end of that game compared to what happened. Yep. Uh, they tend to get up for big games up front. Are they as dominant as they were last year? No. And a lot of that has to do with Tajay Spears is running the ball with the Titans and Derrick Henry right now. He he solved a lot of problems for them. But when I look at this game, Memphis is going to stay in it because it's at home. Memphis is a tough place to play. Last time I saw, I think it may be up to four and a half now, believe it or not, which if it's at four and a half, this is probably going to be a game on the side I'm going to stay away from. I think the over may not be a bad play here. I think you're going to get some explosives from both sides, but I do. I will take Willie Fritz and Tulane on the road. Give me a walk-off field goal to win it after Memphis ties it up late. My co-host is also taking the green wave. I'm I'm going to take the Tigers. I'm going to go with Memphis State. Yeah. I, uh, cover or win? Just to cover. Now I'm, I'm yeah, not taking them to gotcha. win straight up. Just to cover. Not a bad. I, uh, not a bad pick. I like, Technically, I'm picking Memphis to cover if I'm taking yeah. the walkout field goal. So yeah, we so, agree. So, and that's what we're judging you on. So you're you're with me then. You're on. Memphis. Oh well, yeah. Okay. We're, I did. My fault. My fault. My fault. Yeah. Good. I love this. Yeah. I love this. Yes. Yeah. Give me Memphis to cover. And it's it, it was four and a half last time I saw in DraftKings. But if I'm going to take it at four and a half. I'm probably going to take it at three and a half, right? This game goes in threes and sevens, so let's uh, let, let's do that. Who, who's our guy from Memphis State, too? Number three, Rock Taylor. Is that is that the kid's uh, name? Yes, yes. I'll tell you something, man. I like that kid a lot. Really Again, good names go a long way. Names yeah. go a long way. Like, I just want to name my kid, like, like Chipper, like Chipper <laughs> Harper or something. Or, like, Chipper Bryce Crane or something. Just, yeah, I believe in that. You got to give it the PA test. To make sure it passes that, if it does, that's exactly we're, right. We're Can't rhyme with anything bad. Like it's got to, it's got to definitely pass. I'll tell you the game for me where I kind of turned a little bit on Memphis, and obviously they're having a great year. But man, I loved what they did when they played Mizzou. I just thought they looked, mm. they were in that game. And look, Mizzou is showing now week after week, they're a damn good football team. And so I just, I don't know, man. Something, something about Memphis being at home on a Friday night. Feel like weird things will be happening in October on a Friday night. I just, I like it. So I, definitely I, with, with I, a lot on the line. I yeah. mean, it's not like this game doesn't matter either. And in, in Memphis, that they show out when they need to show out, and and I think they have enough playmakers to where even if Tulane does get a ten point lead, a fourteen point lead, thirteen point lead, Memphis can fight their way back because because I think they do. I think Silverfield does a good job of trying to achieve somewhat balance, somewhat a, a stinge of balance on offense. Yeah. All right, next one on the docket, and boy, I love this one. And I'll tell you another reason why this was on here. But we got a big one, big one, big one in the fun belt. We got Georgia mm-hmm. Southern going to Harrisonburg to play JMU at noon on Saturday. JMU still not able to go in the postseason, which seems like the dumbest the rule dumbest. on the planet. Like The just, dumbest. It's ridiculous. Well, so this is my co-host, alma mater. He is a mighty proud Duke. 
Uh, and so actually JMU and William Mary played each other in the FCS semifinals when we were both in undergrad, uh, mm. which he, he still lords over me because they went to Chattanooga and took home the title. I'm still a little bit salty about it, but that's neither here nor there. JMU having another fantastic year, three and a half point home favorites. Is it ever not going to be weird that Georgia Southern has got Clay Helton as head coach and they fling the ball around the yard? It just feels weird that Georgia yeah. Southern's not ground and pound all day. Well, it's funny you say that. My co-host, David Cones from Statesboro, played at Statesboro High for Buzz Busby. Um, he was the only six foot seven triple option quarterback of all time. Uh, he went on to play at Michigan. But yeah, he talks about it all the time. You know, it's it's so it's so weird now because it used to be, well, whoever the head coach that comes in here is running some version right. of the triple option. It's like the town's identity. It's almost right. like the town's mascot. And now they're out there flinging it. You know, they're seeing how many Wisconsin safeties they can throw interceptions to. <laughs> but I right. tell you what. James Madison is an absolute wagon. Mm-hmm. Wagon. I've taken them every week. I took them against my alma mater, South Alabama. Mm-hmm. They just put the windows down and cruise through that one. <laughs> Give me James Madison. And look, I like Georgia Southern, right? They're a good story, right? Clay Helton, it's kind of a redemption story. But you know what else is a good story? Little Red Riding Hood. And what happened to her? So give me James Madison to cover. I, I, you know, I, I don't think it'd be crazy to ladder this one up. To, to buy it at three and a half, four and a half, five and a half, and six and a half. I'm telling you, James Madden is an absolute wagon. Well, this is the easiest pick of the year for my co-host. He has taken Dukes all day. Not even, yeah, not even sure. nervous about it in the least. I'm with you boys, man. I, what they got going on there. And look, I have been saying this. I think you can say, not, not make an argument, I think you can say they are now the best FBS football program in the Commonwealth of Virginia. And I don't know if anybody can argue with you. I don't think that's a crazy thing to say. I mean, what would be the spread right now if they play Virginia Tech on a neutral field? I'd bet James, I mean, I'd I'd bet James, Virginia, right? Which we've seen. James Madison beat Virginia earlier in the year. Yeah, without a doubt. Who who else am I worried about? Richmond? Wake Forest? Right? That's in Virginia, isn't it? No, it's not. It's in North Carolina. I'm losing my mind. Not far, though. Um, yeah, I'm not a geography major, but yeah, geography doesn't matter anymore with conference alignment. So get off, get off my, get out of my room, Dad. <laughs> All right, we talked about this one a lot. I think I know where you're leaning on this, but the big one of the weekend, Pac-12 matchup, Oregon going to Seattle to play Washington. I, I will say this: I always say this when we pick Washington. That is on my list. I need to get to Husky Stadium, and I need to do yeah. the whole Harbor tailgate. I want to do the whole thing. I need to be on the lake, have a good time on the sound, whatever it is. I'm, I'm there for it. Huskies are a two-and-a-half-point home favorite. What you feeling on this? God, I hate two-and-a-half so much. Just the worst <laughs> number ever. Um, I, I, I'm, I've got to go Oregon. I, I would put it on Oregon Moneyline. I think it's like plus 142 last time I saw it. But you're going to give me the two-and-a-half. I'll take the two-and-a-half. Uh, give me Oregon uh, laying the points on the road. My co-host and I have loved Washington the last two years. Love Michael Penix. My co-host has taken the Huskies. Man, this is the toughest one of the week for me because I, I love what they do on offense, but I'm with you. The thing that makes me nervous is I don't know who they are defensively. And in a game like this where you're going to be punching people in the mouth and going to face a little bit of adversity, the thing I like about Oregon is I know who Dan Landing is. <laughs> yeah. I knew who he was when he was in Athens. I knew what he would do when he go, went out there. That dude is a leader of young men. And like I just feel like he has got something going there. And regardless of what folks' opinions on it were, that freaking pregame speech before Colorado was electricity. Yeah. Like, it still yeah. makes me want to be the freaking Kool-Aid man and run through the wall. Like, For sure. He I learned just, from the best. Who learned from the best? He sure did, man. And I just – I love his story too, right? Because it's a story of grit. Like, yeah. I'm going to drive, get myself an interview with Coach Graham, and I'm just going to elbow my way into this because this is the only way I want to live my life is coaching kids and coaching college football. Like – if you can't get on board with that, you ain't got a pulse. And so, like, for sure, it's just it's hard for me not to be Team Dan Lanning. And so, I don't know. I think they go on the road and, and do it, man. I just I think he's got something cooking there for sure. But I think yeah, it's going to be a monster ball game. Uh, yeah, I do too. One thing: the new clock rule, right? I think that's going to have a little bit of effect in this game if Oregon gets up and they're able to run the ball like I think they're going to run the ball in the fourth quarter. Do not be shocked. If you, you look at that time of possession, and they got it for about nine and a half minutes in that fourth quarter, do not be shocked at all. Dan will do that. He'll do it in a second. Yeah, he'll, he'll, take, the, he'll take the death march from, from old Kirby Paul Smart. Tra- look, yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah, let's get downhill. Let's turn, it to a, let's turn it into a luge contest. All right, next one on the docket. I think it's a who are you matchup, right? 
I think Texas A&M had a big opportunity last week to tell America who they were, and maybe they did in certain ways. But they got to go on the road to Rocky Top, play Tennessee. Tennessee, a three-and-a-half-point home favorite in Neyland. I am really interested to see what the Volunteers look like in this matchup. How do you feel about this one? Man, I, I think this game is so fascinating to me that, you know, and everybody keeps talking about, and, and they're right, you don't play Bama and get healthier the next week. But I always like if we lost a big game or maybe lost a game that we weren't supposed to, playing a good opponent that mm-hmm. next weekend. It helps kind of narrow the focus. And this is a de facto elimination game, basically, for the SEC championship, even though these teams are in different divisions. Yep. A&M loses this one. You're out five, bud, after losing to Bama. Tennessee loses this one. They can still beat Georgia and not have the tiebreaker if Georgia, uh, 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 if they beat Georgia at home, right? They have yep. two SEC losses. Sorry, I mean this weather's got my nose running like crazy. I'm That's all right. With it here, uh, but you know, I look at A and M. They're hell in the front seven. Tennessee is a is a more downhill team than they've ever been. The question in this game becomes: Can Joe Milton hit open wide receivers routinely? Yeah. If he can, I think Tennessee scores enough points. I don't trust this Texas A&M team on the road offensively, and I'm not typically a trends guy, but they're 0-7 in their last true road games. And the two tests they've had this year on the road, or the two big tests they've had, one on the road, which they failed miserably, and then one at home, which they failed at the end, they lost them both in the same way. So I think Tennessee's receivers, whether it's Squirrel White, you can go down the list of the guys they have on the outside. I know Bruno McCoy's hurt. They're going to be open. I'll take Tennessee... Uh, even though I hate three and a half, if you're going to bet it, buy that thing down to two and a half. But if we're going to take it just straight up, give it to me three and a half. My co-host is taking the Aggies. For me, man, I just – and this is something I've been on the last couple of years. I just don't trust Jimbo's teams, man. I really don't. Like I, You shouldn't. Why yeah. should you? Yeah. Why, 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 why should you? It's just been a recurring thing. Like Everybody talks about them, and they're going to be this, and they're going to be that. and. Brother, it's the same story every year. I mean, it's just like a whimper all the way to the finish line. I just can't do it, man. And I can't see them going in to Neyland in that environment and coming out with a win. I, I just don't see it, man. And look, this isn't any kind of like, you know, affirmation of Tennessee and what Joe Milton's done or any of those things. Because I am still very much on the fence with them. I just think given the home field and given how they're constructed, I trust them more than I trust A&M. That's, that's essentially the picture. Yeah, look, we have a saying on our show, if somebody shows you who they are enough, you probably should believe them. That's A&M, man. I mean, that is that is it in a nutshell, especially Jimbo's A&M. I mean, it's yeah, just – they're like in Hall Pass when they like think that girl's <laughs> yeah. good looking and then yeah. he does it like this. He's like, wait a minute, let me show you. And then it's yeah. like, oh my gosh, yep. she's a witch. That's it, man. That is it. All right, this one I think is interesting just because, look, it's a, it's a great historical matchup, right? A big, two big behemoths from the West historically. You got Auburn going to Death Valley to play LSU. Mm. LS, LSU can't stop a nosebleed, and Auburn I don't think could score on a JV high school team. So it's like the, the meeting of the wills here, right? But here's the thing I am a little bit curious about is what's Hugh Freeze got cooking coming out of a bye week, right? And did they find a little something in the near miss against Georgia? Um, I, I think that defense has some pieces, man. And so do they have enough pieces to shut down what I think is the best wide receiver duo in America? I don't know about all that. But LSU 10.5-point home favorite in Death Valley. What you thinking on this one? Yeah, look, uh, the LSU Auburn series, it's just, you know, I said on the show, it's like that weird kid you grew up with that, that like put mayonnaise on his hot dog and just like really loved insects way too much. Like it was just weird. Like he's always touching them and stuff. Like you had earthquakes, fires, you know, five interceptions, second halves, just something. There's a solar eclipse that's happening like that's right. right before the game. Yeah, that's so right. like if aliens landed halfway through the second quarter of Auburn LSU, I'd be like, makes sense. Right. You know, that's that's written on a tablet somewhere buried underneath the pyramids. But, you know, Auburn's passing offense versus LSU's passing defense. It's, it's a cripple fight. That's yeah. that's what it is. It's like off South Park. I mean, it's it's a cripple fight. But I but I will say, I think LSU, not even wide receiver group. I think LSU may have the best offense in the country. Yeah. If I'm looking at, at LSU and USC, I am taking LSU's offense because of their offensive line, and, and I will stand by that. I, I think their offensive line is better than USC's. Uh, and Jaden Daniels, you know, if it, his biggest problem is he runs runs vertically, he runs straight up and down, and he doesn't yep. slide, he doesn't go out of bounds. You know, I think he thinks he's like Josh Allen, which Josh Allen shouldn't even do that, but he does. Here's my problem: Auburn with Peyton Thorne at quarterback. I watched him go on the road at Cal. He could barely function. 
Yeah. I watched him go on the road at Kyle Field. It looked like he was watching The Conjuring in a graveyard in the middle of the night. So if you think that's bad, you're about to go into Death Valley at LSU, which the best way I can describe it, it's like Mordor. Like there's orcs <laughs> being born in the mud during the game. Like they're just monsters. Just you're getting flicked off by kids that three hours earlier were legitimately playing with Legos for fun. So if you're gonna <laughs> if you're gonna not be able to perform on the road, Death Valley is not a good place to do it. I think Auburn can run the ball a little bit on LSU. I think it's going to come down to whether they can throw the ball on third and medium. I think they're going to be in a lot of third and mediums. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. And Auburn's got a really good secondary. They've got some pieces mm-hmm. on defense. They've got some young pieces uh, that, that I really like. And this is the worst team Hugh Freeze is going to have, right? It's year one, yep. kind of feeling it out. But they don't have a pass rush. The, the only way they get pressure is by bringing pressure. And if you're going to do that, eventually Jaden Daniels is going to get out of there. And you're going to be in man with your back turned. He's going to take off. Or he's going to let one of those aliens run around on the outside like Brian Thomas Jr. or Malik Neighbors or even Mason Taylor at tight end on the inside go make a play, and if you're going to bring pressure, well, you don't have a lot of help if you miss tackles. I don't think Auburn can win in a track meet in this game. So what's the answer? Try to limit their possessions. Make them drive in between the 20s and kick field goals. I don't think it'll be enough. I like LSU 41-24 in this game, uh, so give me the LSU cover on the 10.5. My co-host is taking the Tigers, too. I am also on the Bayou Bengals. My reasoning is thus. I watched Auburn play against one alumnus of the Xavier School for Gifted Youngsters in Brock Bowers, and now yes. I'm going to get to watch them play against two more alumnus in Malik Neighbors and uh, Brian Thomas Jr. I just feel like those dudes are going to be like Thanos, inevitable. I mean, oh, they for are sure. just going to tear that defense. And off Brian eventually. Thomas Jr. is the freakiest one of the two. Oh, like that's what, he's six foot five. Watch him move. Guys don't move like that, nope. that, that, that are that size, that, that have quick twitch like that. That just doesn't – Malik Neighbors is a pro, 100% pro. <laughs> Brian Thomas is going to be studied hundreds of years from now to see like his hips, his flexibility, his ankles, his acceleration, and his ability to stop and start is just nuts at that size. I mean, it really is when you look at him. So it's a, it's a tough matchup, man. I'm, I'm with you. Uh, I, I like LSU. I, they're scary. They're as bad as they are on defense, and they know they're bad on defense. So what does that mean on offense? Well, if we got to score 60, we'll score 60. And believe me, they can score 60 against anybody. And look, man, at some point, right, Harold Perkins got to appear. The the Harold Perkins of old got to show up at some point. I don't know if it's this weekend, but it's got to happen at some point. I mean, I just – that offense – Covers up a lot of warts, brother. I mean, and they got warts, big ones. But Oh, they do. They, they do. It's, they've been kissing and rubbing on frogs. <laughs> All right, man. The next one, this is fascinating for me. I, this number, this stinks out loud. A capital S, okay? USC going to South Bend to play Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. Notre Dame is a two-and-a-half-point home favorite in this ball game. I can't make heads or tails of it, man. So walk me through it. How do we get to this number? Well, you know, I, I think it's a couple of reasons. I think it shows you what Vegas thinks about USC's defense. Yeah. And and I think there's another there's another kind of caveat in here. Everybody's talking about, oh, well, now Notre Dame, they're in the dream crusher spot, right? Your dreams just got crushed. You know, you're you're not going to be able to make the college football playoff. You know, it's funny, they said the same thing about Clemson going to Syracuse and Clemson mm-hmm. played one of their best games. Look, I think what you're gonna see on Saturday is a pissed off Notre Dame team. That's what I think you're going to see. A Notre Dame team that lost Ohio State because they couldn't count to 11, and then a team that lost to Louisville. I I said that right, actually, Louisville, uh, because (laughs) of arrogance. They thought they were going to be able to go out there and just line up in big boy Louisville, and Louisville was going to take it at home. And Louisville did not take it. There weren't a bunch of smoke and mares that Louisville ran on defense. They held Notre Dame to, what, 43 rushing yards? Mm -hmm. Right? Estimate the guy that never goes backwards. He was going backwards more than the DBs were. So when when I look at that, I think now it's in a spot where a lot of the pressure is off Notre Dame, right? And you don't want that. You don't want the pressure to be off. You want to still be in the hunt. 
But I think you're going to see a very angry old team. Sam Hartman turned it over way too much last week. I think you're going to see a team that realizes they have a chance to now put some of that pain and anger in somebody else's season in USC coming in. I think Notre Dame dominates this game up front. Not that USC won't score. Caleb Williams and them are too good. But I think you see a Notre Dame team that a lot of us thought after the first three or four games that we were going to see more and more of and see against Louisville. Give me Notre Dame. I love this bet. I love taking Notre Dame in this spot. Give me that. Nobody gets more pissed after bad things than the Irish. So give me Notre Dame. <laughs> My co-host is taking the Trojans. I, this is one of those where there are gigantic buildings in Vegas for a reason. And so this game has me in a complete brain pretzel right now. Like, I don't know what to do with this because this is what my eyes have shown me, okay, is that Notre Dame has problems scoring the football. And Mm -hmm. if they face somebody who can score the football, even Jack Plummer led Louisville, they're going to have some issues. And so that makes me super nervous. But here's the thing, man. Like, USC got to play not just a road game, but a road game in South Bend, in the shadow of Touchdown Jesus, going halfway across the country. Man, there's just ghosts there, right? Like I, I don't, I don't know. They're gonna have the grass tall, probably like they did. All the, the pressures Bush on them, Seth. Right yeah. All the pressures on them. Yeah. Notre Dame. It's weird. Notre Dame's the favorite in this game, but all the pressure is not on them. The pressure is on USC. Notre Dame's out of it now. You can almost play loose, right? Yeah. Go out there and play free. Here's my thing, though. Like you know what this team looks like, USC this year. You know who they look like? They look like. Every other team that Lincoln Riley and Alex Grinch have ever had. Yeah. Great on offense. I mean, they're walking, they're the Globetrotters on offense, but defensively, you're having to beat Arizona at home in double OT with their backup quarterback. Not that Arizona, I love Jed Fish, but there's no business. This is the same USC defense that I saw last year, almost, maybe a little bit better. It's the same one we saw at Oklahoma when he had Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray and all these guys running around on offense, but they couldn't stop anybody to save their lives. I I don't trust them. I don't trust them as far as I can throw them. Yeah, and I'll tell you, too, the big one for me, dude, Notre Dame got beef up front. Like, I think they can establish the line of scrimmage and take USC out of what they want to do. Make them play their tempo. Yeah, yep. and tell me, who has USC played that you would say you brand as physical thus far? Nobody. Nobody. And so, like, I don't know who they are in a grown man contest. And we're going to see Saturday because they're about to be. Oh, you're going to find out. Yeah. yeah. So, I think, yeah, I think I'm going to ride with the Irish too, man. And, look, I love South Bend. We went in 17 for the Dogs game, and, like, I fell in love with that place, man. And so, it's hard for me go. to get away from it. But, yeah, man, it's, it's, it is a must. And tell me when you do, because I'm going to send you to all the spots we found while we were there. Please do. Yeah. I'm so down. Yeah, it is It is a must, man. All right, look, we got another one. That, this is one of my favorite matchups of the weekend. Probably nobody going to talk about We got a Mountain West tie-up here. We got the Wyoming Cowboys going mm-hmm. to Colorado Springs and Mighty Falcon Stadium to play, to play the Air Force Falcons. And, dude, this is another one. What a number on this. Air Force 10.5-point home favorites. Dude, Wyoming's yep. only lost to Texas. Like, they're not having a down year or anything. I know Craig Bowl has had trouble at Falcon Stadium, but where are you sitting on this one? Man, I think Air Force may be the best group of five team in the country. I mean, no, nobody talks about them. I've watched them play multiple times. Uh, they, they are true triple option. Yep. There's no, hey, you know, we're kind of halfway in, halfway out. They run it like 95% of the time. Like, there's no tricks. There's no smoke and mirrors. I love the under in this game at 42.5 because Wyoming wants to line up and run the ball. That 10.5 is a big number. Ooh, that, big. That's that's a really big number in this game. Wyoming, they've won games in funky ways, right? You know, they blocked the, the field goal and run it back uh, a couple weeks ago. Craig Bull does a really good job as an mm-hmm. underdog going into games. He yep. struggles for some reason at home, right, when they're the favorite and it's a, it's a tight spread. But on the road, they may not win. But good teams don't win. Great teams cover. We all know that. So give me Wyoming plus the 10.5. I think Air Force could dominate this game. And just because the style of play and that new clock rule mm-hmm. could keep this score within reason. So give me Wyoming on the 10.5. My co is taking the Cowboys. I am too. I just, they got something going on, man. They've been a good bet for me this year. I uh, bet on them. A- know who they are. Yeah, they know who they, they are. They know exactly who they are. The only thing that gives me a little pause is Coach Bowles one and three when he goes to Colorado Springs. The numbers haven't looked great, but 
I, I always feel like every year is independent of the other. So it I'm going to I'm going to roll with the Cowboys on this, especially with that number, right? If this was maybe like six and a half, I'd feel a little bit differently. But dude, ten and a half, I don't know, man. I just think this is going to be a war. So yeah, I, agree. I, I, I like the Cowboys in this one. Okay, this one is <laughs> look. <laughs> I don't know what the hell was going on last weekend on that sideline, but Miami going to Chapel Hill to play the Tar Heels. Carolina is a three and a half point home favorite. Let's talk about it, man. Like, in what world are you not taking the knee there? Like, I just, I don't understand it at all. Yeah. None of the explanations have made sense. Well, th- there is no explanation that makes sense. There is not a worse decision that you can make, and there is not an easier decision to make. Yeah. In that scenario, yep. I, I, you know, I we've talked about it all week, and I said if I was a coach in that press box, I know Shannon Dawson is on the field, the OC, but I would literally get on the headset when the decision was made not to knee it and say, "Listen, Coach Cristobal, I love it here, I love working for you, but if we do not knee this, I'm going to jump out of the press box and <laughs> die in front of everybody." Like I would have done something drastic. Like if I was a coach on the sideline, I'd be like, "Coach, I'm I'm about to take my shirt off." And go lay in midfield, like <laughs> unless we take, like because I love this team so much, yeah. Because I want to win so bad. There's you can talk about it, not you know it shouldn't have been ruled a fumble or or the guy went to slide before he broke. Should never got to that matter. point. Yeah, doesn't matter. Should, should never have gotten to that point. Yeah. You pray all week that your team has a chance to get in victory formation. Yep. In the fourth quarter, and it is the easiest call to make. And you know what? People are like, oh well, Tyler Van Dyke should have just taken a knee. No, don't put that on Tyler Van Dyke. Mm-hmm. That's no. not on him. Now, I would have taken it. I would have gone up away from Varsity Blues so quick, kind <laughs> of pretended to fall down, you know, pulled one of those. But like, I just don't know how, as a player, and and as somebody else on that staff, it, you put in all this work, right, for 12 opportunities, and you have such an obvious – it was almost to the point when it happened, Seth, I was like, I need to see his phone. Yeah, like, like I, I need to see like you got a DraftKings account. Like, right, I, right. I, it's that egregious. It's yeah. the worst, and it's the second time he's done it. Yeah, like it's just something, something adding up here, man. Like yeah. it's you don't make that mistake if you're Mario Cristobal. There's no way. Yeah, man. I just and so this is the thing for me too, right? Does it? Do you lose your football team? You know, like you could. We're gonna find out yeah. if it goes bad. Now, see, here's the problem. Now, if you start losing, like, and this leads to a losing streak, mm-hmm. it's like really on you. Yeah, like it's it's the heat. You did it to yourself. Yep. This what's that graph? F around and find out. Yeah. Like, well, you you f'd around, and now you found out. That's why I'm taking North Carolina in the uh, minus three and a half at home. Yeah, I mean, we're the same, man. My coach and I are both taking them. I just think UNC's playing real good football. Number one, let's not discount that. And Drake the other piece is, which dude, I, I also think too. Outside of the App State game, they have looked outstanding. I mean, good on both sides of the football. Drake May, I think people have just conveniently forgot, was the Dern Heisman Trophy front runner at the beginning of the year last year. And like, yeah. he's gotten himself right. And so, man, they're just, they're doing something. Look, and what? Uh, Tez Walker playing this week? Yeah. He's back. He's this back. Week? Tez Walker's back. So, you dude, know, they, th- they thank get- goodness the. Uh, oh, the NCAA, you know, never cares about athletes association over there. Um, I, I'll say this too, like North Carolina didn't have to have an elite defense to be good. They, they just don't. need to be good enough to get enough stops. Cause Drake may is, is a, I, and I'm going to say this, and I'm projecting this. I'm not saying right now. I think Drake may is a better version of Justin Herbert. That's oh, what I, I think. I see is. that. Yeah. I like that comp. Yeah, man, I, dude. Like very dude. similar. Like, yes. what? Watch. I mean, dude, that man makes so. That, it just watch him. He just got that too. He's got that like that X factor, right? You mm-hmm. talked about like Brock Bowers, like the you know, like I'm just surprised when I see him walking around. There's not like some bald dude in a wheelchair just following him. <laughs> right? Yeah. Where's Professor X? That's yeah, exactly he's, right. He's close. Yeah. No, I, I agree, man. I, I think it's a. I think it's a good day to be a Tar Heel fan on Saturday. I, I just it feel is. that, and I think it's tough if you're a Hurricane. All right, this, this is another one, man. It, it's fascinating to me given what happened last weekend. Kentucky kind of had an opportunity to say we're not who everybody thinks we are, and they go into Athens and get just the doors blown off of them between the hedges. And now Mizzou's coming to town after a really tough loss against LSU where they play great for like three and a half quarters, and then the wheels fall off in the last five minutes. Kentucky two-and-a-half-point favorite at Kroger Field. How you feeling on this one? 
Man, if if I I don't know, I, I'm sure you you know Saturday in Athens. I'm sure you, your guys are going to love this. I don't know if y'all watch Craner Company or not, but we talked about this all last week. Georgia's going to yes. murder Kentucky. Yes. like it was going to be a murder show. Like it's the worst matchup ever for Kentucky because there's like 100%. the common misconception. Oh, Georgia's weak weak weakness, quote unquote, is against the run. Well, if you really looked at it, it was quarterbacks that were hurting mm-hmm. them on the exterior. Devin Leary ain't going anywhere. Nope. They are a they are a gap scheme in the box run team. You are running right into the belly of the beast. And they may not have Jalen Carter this year. They may not have Jordan Davis this year. But what they got is better than what you got. I can mm-hmm. promise you that. So that was – I couldn't have – I made so much money betting Georgia last week. It was like stealing, <laughs> like I'm going to do it this week against Vandy. But I will say this. This is a tough game to bet because both teams are upset, right? Yeah. Coming off of, of big opportunities. One failed at home late. The other one failed on the road early. Early, early, that that game was over. Mm-hmm. I like Kentucky defensively to be able to to somewhat stifle Missouri's run game. I know Luther Burden is a freak; he's going to get his. But I think that Kentucky can run the ball on this Missouri defense. Uh, you look at Liam Cohen, their OC, Sean McVay, protege. A lot of play action, a lot of motion pre snap. Uh, I like Kentucky to find a way. I think this could end up being a heck of a game. Give me the Wildcats to bounce back at home minus the two and a half. My co-host is taking Mizzou, and my uh, three KU graduate siblings are going to hate me when this comes out of my mouth. But I am also going to take Mizzou. Do it. And, and this is my reasoning, okay? I'm glad you brought Liam Cohen, because this is one of the things I talked about in our post game on Sunday. And that is, I thought Liam Cohen had an outstanding offensive game plan against Georgia on Saturday. If you go back and watch the first half of that game, there were Wildcats running free all throughout the different Devin missed a lot. He missed a lot. There was a lot left on the table there. And if they don't commit these stupid penalties, they're in a bad spot. But that was educational for me because it made me go, is this the carpenter or the tools, right? And, and I think in this case, it's the tools. I mean, I think yeah. the carpenter's just right. Liam Cohen dotted up perfect. Schematically, sure. it's right where it needs to be. I just don't have faith in Devin Leary, man. I just, what I saw. I don't think was, that's crazy. Yeah. I don't he, think that's crazy at all. And and to your point, man, God, I am just in love with freaking Luther Burden. I would pay cash money to see that dude play. Drew, you want incredible. to talk about doing a good job as a carpenter who has the tools? The way they get him the ball, yes. he plays so many different spots. They do such a good job of finding ways to get him the ball. Uh, but yeah, look, there's been a lot of coaches that look like geniuses that didn't know really that much because they had great players. And a lot of coaches that look like idiots who are really smart because they didn't have good players. Yeah, I, but I'm with you, man. I think that's a, a really compelling matchup and could be one of the games of the day if you're a degenerate that's that's willing to tune in and watch Mizzou and Kentucky play some football. But I'm here for it, man. I'm down. I'm I think here it's going to be awesome. Smother me in it. All right, last one for the docket. We're still going to pick Dogs Vandy, but that's that's such a non-factor that the yeah. 10, 10 other games I like. Put so Vandy, yeah. money line. That's right. To win right. a trillion dollars. This one, I think, is fascinating because of how Chip Kelly's team is composed, okay? UCLA going to Corvallis to play Oregon State, and what do we think of when we think of Coach Kelly? We think of those Oregon teams. We think of spreading you out. We think of offense, offense, offense. Damn, man, the Bruins are sitting here with the number five D in the country, and more importantly, my favorite metric, dude, they got the number three stop rate in America. The Bruins, Chip Kelly team. And so, like, I don't know what to do with them. I think the fact that they finally settled and said, look, Dante Moore, you're our guy. We're rolling with you, okay? We're not going to do this quarterback triumvirate we tried to do at the beginning of the year, which I thought was nuts. But, like, that UCLA team is interesting to me, man, because I would not have given them a chance last weekend against Cam Ward and Wazoo. I loved the Cougs in that game. And, man, UCLA showed up and did it. So, where are you at on this? How you feeling about DJU and the Beavers and, and UCLA? What's that? Is it at four feeling? and a half? Do you got it at four and a half? You got it at three and a half. I still got it at three and a half. But you got it at three and a half. Yeah. Uh, here's here's what I think. Maybe Mick Cronin's rubbing off on him a little bit. New basketball coach. I yeah. You said they play some defense and basketball. You know what I find fascinating? Uh, last year, UCLA had success and DTR fantastic player. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. He's he looked. I know he came out and didn't look great the other day. Young NFL quarterback. They don't have a, you know, they got some weapons on the Browns, but he's not walking around with, you know, a ton to work with. Yeah. Uh, they, they got to where they got because of physicality in the run game, mm-hmm. right? UCLA, it wasn't just the, hey, we'll spit it out and have a lot of fun and Jake Bobo and all these guys. They were downhill with Charbonnet, right? Yep. They were downhill. DTR was able to run it. Now this year, they're winning games with defense. Mm-hmm. And, and when you have a coach that's known for one thing, but he's able to win another way, I think that shows strength. 
in in coaching ability in malleability yeah. right because every team regardless of how well how well you recruit or what you do in the transfer portal that team is going to take on an identity and it's your job to put that team and their identity in the best position to win and i think chip realizes that and it's a great way to protect a young quarterback that's going to be really good down the road so you don't have to sit here and just put him in bad situation after bad situation he's going to make mistakes but that's part of it but but you're going to play the beavers this weekend DJU, I think, still the same DJU. Yeah. But Jonathan Smith may be the most underrated coach in the country. And I know Oregon State got lit up by Washington State. I think they looked past Cal last week when they gave up that number. I still like this team defensively. I think this is going to be an absolute slobber knocker. But I think Oregon, State's, Oregon State gets a defensive touchdown, and they're able to stop UCLA a couple more times. I think the dam breaks for the fourth quarter are in the fourth quarter for UCLA. So give me Oregon State, the Beavers. And yes, that was a Beaver Dam pun joke. <laughs> I like it very show. much. I like um, it very much. Give me the Beavers to cover. My co-host is taking the Beavs too. Man, this is tough. I'm, I'm burnt last week because I was all in on the Cooks and UCLA up in my apple cart. But I'm with you, man. I just think that's a great home field. They always play well in Corvallis. I yeah. like the composition of this team. And and look, they went to Pullman, and I think they got blitzed a little bit. I think they weren't Pullman's a tough place to play. Tough it's place a to tough play. place to play. Ask Wisconsin. Ask some yeah. of these other teams that go up there. Yeah, man. And look, Cam Ward's real. Like, he was real at Incarnate Ward. Yeah, yeah. And so, like, he, he's a real player. And so, like, I, I think they they got a little shell-shocked by that. They got blitzed out. And then, look, man, they made it a ball game. It was 35-33 final, 35-32 yep. final, whatever it ended up being. Yep. I mean – they were right there. So I'm with you. I still think this is a real good football team, well-coached football team. And, hey, lest we forget, they were a real good football team last year too. So this isn't like just a this year type of thing. So I think the culture there is good. I'm with you, man. I'm taking Oregon State plus alma mater, Adley Rushman. So go O's on that too after, after yeah, a tough Yeah, tackled week. Christian McCaffrey one time. <laughs> that's yeah, right. Hashtag never forget. That's right. That's right. All right, so that's our 10. Big, big number to beat. Eight and two is the clubhouse leader, but I'm feeling good about your pick. Plus, if you have a good Eight week, two, I'll have a man, good man, it's a good day at the office. Travis Denning came on last week, our defending champ, and had himself another another good day last week. So, yeah. God, that's yeah. why I look. Put me in their arena. Yeah, let's do that's it. right. All right, last one, though. Let's 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 talk dogs. Dogs, Vandy. I think, look, they're going to go to Nashville, and that, that game's going to be over before the brunch crowd leaves the gulch. Um, but, like, let's talk about this, okay? Where do you sit on this? I loved what y'all talked about last week. It was right where we sat. We had said all last week, this is a flag plant game for Georgia to remind everybody against Kentucky. Hey, guys, back-to-back national champs, still here, okay? Like, still got the guys. Don't forget about us, all right? And I think they did that effectively. And obviously, they're going to go into Nashville and do whatever they want to do. But long-term, as we project out to December 3rd in Atlanta, hopefully, what do you see from this team? What do you like? What makes you nervous about them? Um, you know, obviously, the, the talent they have is going to be superior than than 99% of the teams they play. And mm-hmm. whenever you have that advantage, there's a lot of, of margin for error. Uh, one of the main things I like about this team is that Kirby doesn't have to manufacture adversity. Kirby doesn't have to to draw to the spirits or the wind to let them know that people doesn't, <laughs> that don't believe in them. Like in, and Kirby's great at doing that. He can do it if he has to. But I, I think he's tapped into something as well. You don't want to be the class that lets down the previous two classes that won it. Yeah, that's a, you almost you almost don't do that. You know, worse than you want to win it, right? Because the two groups before you won it. You don't want to be that group that's like, oh well, we had that. You know, we were going to have that dynasty, and this is a group that blew it. Embarrassment is a real motivating factor. Yeah. It's like my it's like my brother said. Like he had a buddy in high school, they were best friends. He used to make fat jokes all the time, you know, not trying to be mean, but you know, just joking around and now his friend's skinny and a lawyer. Like sometimes embarrassment, especially with the 18 to 22 year olds, it can it can yield a lot of good things. Yeah. But when I look at Georgia, I I think something that people are forgetting is that they may not have those those marquee names up front but they are still able to set the tone in the line of scrimmage in the box. And we know they can get after the passer and having Malachi and Bullard and those guys back there who can come downhill and affect the run, who can stay back there and affect the pass, who can keep explosive plays from happening. One of the reasons that Georgia dominates a lot of these games is in against normal teams against humans. Those would be 80 yard touchdowns 
against Georgia, they're 35 yard gains. Like, so now you have to run five more plays to score, which opens up your margin for error because you don't have enough talent. But Georgia's offensive line does not get enough credit. And I know they haven't run the ball as dominant as people wanted to. I know you've had injuries in the backfield. But from a pass pro standpoint, the time that Carson Beck, mm-hmm. Carson Beck has to sit in the pocket is unbelievable. Lad McConkey is coming back. Haru the Great White Ninja. We already know about Brock Bowers. Okay. Like he's from Planet Krypton or, or somewhere that's even better than that. Then Dominic Lovin and Rob Rod Thomas eventually are going to come on. Like they, they are going to come on. We saw a little bit right last week against Kentucky. And yep. the more guys that get healthy, but this offensive line gives Carson Beck time. And when you're developing a guy, and Carson's not a freshman. He's not a guy that's been there for one year. I mean, he's he's I mean, my man's paying his taxes. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like he's he's that's an right. older guy. He's handling that's business. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, it just, you know, all that, all that jazz. But I think when you look at Georgia, when you don't have to manufacture adversity, when you have a, a talent gap with pretty much every other team, and you're able to give a quarterback that's developing time to experience guys on the outside who are getting healthy. Georgia has not played this, their best football yet, and they're still winning. What do we always say in college basketball? You want to be peaking at the right time. Mm-hmm. What do we always say in the NFL when you make the playoffs? You want to be peaking at the right time. I think this Georgia team is setting up to be peaking at the right time, and there's no real I, – I think Georgia and Michigan are the two best teams yeah. in college football. That's yep. what I think. There's some similarities there as well, and Michigan does have more experience overall than Georgia does. But – I think we may be heading for that showdown, depending on how it works out in the playoff, right? It could be one-two where you play each other in the national championship game. But this team has not hit their peak yet, and they, they their trajectory right now is that they're going to be elevating and getting better and better and better while people are still doubting them. Then that's what you want at the end when you go get after somebody's ass a little bit. I think that's a fantastic point. One of the things we talk about a lot is I'm such a firm believer that a football team is a live and breathing organism. And it is constantly changing over the course of a season. And this is one of the things, and look, I know it's against tradition and, and there's arguments against it and all these things, right? But it's one of my arguments for the 12-team playoff is, look, I'm not going to be the same team December 1st that I was on September 1st. And if I lose early but am now the best team in the country, why should I be discounted out, right? Like if I'm playing hot and think about this baseball model, the Rangers wouldn't have been in, Right. Yeah. And they look like they could win the World Series now. And so I love that about it. I love the evolution of a team. And I don't think there's any better sport for the growth of a team than football because of the mass quantity of guys, right? Yeah. And I think to your point too, with back-to-back national titles and you had stability at the quarterback position and you had like not big turnover in big spots and you had fillers, whether it was Jalen filling in for Jordan Davis or Stetson staying unilateral, like whatever it was, right? The identity was kind of already built. And I think this team, they're figuring out who they are. And to your point, when that happens, and it may have happened the second half on the Plains, I'm going to be honest with you. I think they found something on the second half at Auburn and leaned it right into Kentucky. And if they keep escalating up that mountain, man, whoo. Look out. And I look, and, and a couple things. To the point about the playoff, I'm all for meritocracy. Let's settle it on the field. Yeah. Right? You think you're the best team? Well, go out there and play like you're the best team. Yep. Right? If that means you have to play two games or three games to win it, well, then you got to play two games or three games to win it. I would much rather settle it on the field than get to a point where we feel like all the best teams at that time didn't get in. And that's not discounting the regular season early or anything like that. If you have an awful regular season early, even if you're playing hot late, you're not going to get in. Yep. Uh, so I don't like that argument. The second thing is when I saw Carson Beck at halftime of the South Carolina game when Kirby was talking and they're down 14 to three and, and you're the heir apparent at quarterback, wink at the camera. Wink. Yeah. I was mm-hmm. like, okay, all right. Yeah. Uh, okay. Like yeah. it's, I, I believe it. Live bet. How much can I possibly live bet <laughs> on Georgia? Right. Thanks for telling me, Carson. But no, I mean, uh, again, you don't want to be – it's almost like the the son of the famous father that that doesn't want to – that, you know, wants to make sure his father's proud of him. Like, you don't want to be the one that lets down the legacy. And I think this team, while they may do it in a little bit of a different way, but while they may not do it with the amount of star power defensively that you've had, again, they're better than you are. They're, They're still better than you are. And that's just how it is. Well, we're uh, we're so fired up you came on to hang with us today, Jake, man. We really enjoyed it. Before we go, 
tell our listeners how they can support you and support your show. Yeah, Seth, this is a great time, man. I hope I want that. See, now you got me all gassed up with that eight and two. Like, <laughs> that's like it. I, I want, I want, I want whatever the trophy is. But yeah, look, if you like talking ball, you know the the old school way without all the crazy stuff in it. Just go to YouTube. It's the best way to find us. Uh, Crane and Company, C R A I N and Company. We go live each weekday morning from seven thirty a.m. to nine a.m. Eastern. That's six thirty to eight a.m. Central. Those are the only two time zones I know. I'm sorry. Uh, it's on Apple Podcasts as well. It's on Spotify. It stays up there. We got live call ins. Kind of like Fine Bomb, I guess you could say, but we're really not like that. Uh, we got a live chat. It's a lot of fun. We got a great group. It's me, my brother who played uh, wide receiver in college, and David Cohn who played quarterback in Michigan. And and we're talking uh, the nitty-gritty, man. We get into it. So uh, come hang out with us. Well, look, if y'all listen for this past hour and y'all are all in on Jake and immediately going and subscribing <laughs> to the show, I don't know what's wrong with y'all. So y'all make sure and support it, Jake, support Crane and Company. We'll have all the links in the show notes. Make sure and get on that. And look, brother, you're welcome back anytime, man. We enjoyed it. Seth, this is great. You guys do such a fantastic job. I was, I was really jacked when you guys reached out. Uh, there's very few shows that I'll tap into in the sports world because I just deal with it 24-7. You can just ask my wife, but you guys really do a fantastic job, man. Uh, we appreciate it, brother, man. We, we really appreciate it. All right, y'all be good. Hey, George is better now. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.